This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kine. Hi, I'm David Bernstein, and uh, <laughs> I've been a software developer for actually longer than I care to admit. And I've had the great good fortune of training professional software developers in my career for about 30, 25 years, something like that. So I've trained about 10,000 in XP practices over the last 20 years. But before that, it was object-oriented programming and, and new technologies and stuff like that. This is a continuing episode of a series with David Scott Bernstein about his book, Beyond Legacy Code. And in this episode, we have a big lineup of special guests. Ron Quartel, Jeff Hoover, Len Gresky, Dan Davis, Butch Howard, and George Walters. Your title's Beyond Legacy Code. Is that what you mean by the goal? Yes. The goal is not to get to legacy code in the first place. And thank you so much. And I guess the the one thing is the title is a little confusing for people, uh, mainly possibly because of Michael Feather's book. I love Michael's book. It's called Working Effectively with Legacy Code. So when it came out, when my book came out, a lot of people are like, are you Michael Feathers or are you writing, you know? And I'm like, no, legacy code is a term. It doesn't own the term. And, you know, Michael loves my book too. And I'm, I really, like I say, I really love this book. Um, but the idea is not get there in the first place. That's why I use the beyond, the beyond part. I think we hinted to that a little bit early on. And like, we're, we're through the, the schooling context that you were hinting to, David, of like, we're taught to write software, but we're not necessarily taught to read software. And then we don't necessarily, therefore, write for readability, right? And like, there's an underlying premise that I think is behind all of that that resonated for me there with, you know, that context of, oh, yeah. So that, that idea of like, I may have to look at this again some other time, or other people will certainly need to look at this some other time. Like, we don't, we don't go there, right? And inherently, and I think that's just some of that that plays through. So it just resonated for me. I've been catching more and more of that lately with the few chats I've been involved with where it's it's the idea that we're we're not really taught to read software we're taught to write it and there's a nuance there so just interesting really good point yeah and think about what literature would be like if that were the case right <laughs> oh yes oh right yeah it'd be really dull and nobody would buy it so <laughs> the commercial value of literature is that it is readable the commercial exactly. value of software there's the trick here folks is it's a yep. it's a lagging problem is is you get the software working <laughs> boom i got my commercial value or did you <laughs> so uh yeah and then you run into what len was talking about is the long-term total cost of ownership is uh really expensive and then you have your developers who finally say hey let's just re-architect this thing because it's not you know, it's too hard to work with. And, and so then you end up having to, you know, either accommodate them or, or, or force them to, to, to slug it out. Yeah, I've got a, a, a little deeper dive question. Is that, is that all right? Please. Um, so the, the, the group you're t- that you're talking to here, we all work with the same organization right now, a consulting firm that are big into metrics. And a couple of times in your book, you referred to some metrics that you recommended. 
And I'm, I'm going to start with this first one on page 79. We should measure ourselves on what is valuable to the customer. This is one of the few metrics I sub- subscribe to. Yes. It discourages local optimization. What does that look like? What, what would a metric to measure the value to the customer look like? Interesting. I find in practice, it's only valuable to measure just like three or so metrics because otherwise it gets really overwhelming. So the things I like to measure is number one, first and foremost, what I call time to value. And depending upon your organization and where you want to focus, that time to value can either be measured from idea to delivered software in the hands of our user getting value from it, or from starting to work on the idea to delivered software. But the idea is time to value. How long does it take for our process? Because what we do very often, like you were saying, is do local optimization. Optimize some some part of the process and make it really efficient. But then since the rest of the process is not so efficient, it doesn't, it winds up that it doesn't save you time overall. So doing local optimizations can be really valuable. You mentioned three. You said you you like to do three. So one is time one is time to value. What are the other two? Yes. Uh, so time to value, defect density. So that's defects released to production that on a, on a per thousand lines of code. So, so we can sort of look at different teams or different times and compare. Mo- almost all metrics are not for that. Although people, that's exactly what they want to do with it. But defect density and time to value are things that you could look at different teams and say, oh, this team is delivering faster or, or whatever. Not by story points, but by actually, actual how long did it take for value to occur? And then what's the third one? I, I can look it up. I have your book. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I really liked that term. I'd never heard that term before, defect density. Yeah, I'd never seen that before. I really liked that one. Oh, you know, the it, other thing? It, it, it's pretty useful. I mean, I've standardized it as sigma levels. And then you can look at, in you know, do you have a... Three sigma, four sigma, five sigma, five point five, in, in in because you can convert it into a defects per x number of operations, and that particularly when you're talking to executives, if they have a six sigma background, then you can have a conversation in terms they understand. You know, then you can talk about the 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 debt of those outstanding defects. Like you know, if you have an average cost to repair a defect and how much debt do you have hanging out there in rework? Yeah, I think the important aspect of that is get it away from the count, right? As with most metrics, just simply looking at the count is not the, the most value, but looking at it in some scale or some percentage and understanding trending, right, is is a way better goal. I so agree completely. It's so easy to lie to ourselves with numbers, especially yep. when managers who don't quite fully understand we we are the magicians right we're the guys who actually make magic happen and so i think for a lot of people who don't do that it's a little disconcerting because they don't have any control over it in a sense and they kind of grasp it like that's why a lot of managers stick to schedules and stuff because they don't know how else to control us but as you point out it's actually probably the worst way to control okay what was number three um, you know, I kind of forgot, but I would say, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find it in the book here, too. 
I've got so many highlights. I'm, I'm <laughs> Charles. I think I highlighted out the book. Oh, um, Goodreads sent me your your notes on my book, Ron. Ooh, and it was okay. lightning. Thank you so much. And thanks to Goodreads. It was really great to read. Thank you. <laughs> I thought you, you were going to we complain to... about something there. Like, Ron, I totally don't agree yeah. with what you said about this and Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, because you can see all my notes, too. Like, yeah. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's very helpful. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah, because that way you can actually get some feedback on, uh, you know, what people are highlighting and, and what notes they're taking. Yeah. 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 That's a good uh, feedback mechanism for authors. For authors, it's so valuable. Yeah. I'm very much into um, like the we all are the feedback loop and making it as short as possible, right? Like that's why we do CI and why we have good you know test suites and stuff like that. And the feedback loop in writing is like years. (laughs) Agile thoughts wants your help. However you find our show, be it through iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation systems, go ahead and leave us a review. Click some stars, and that will help us grow the show. Thank you. Check out the show notes because we have some goodies in there, like a video of David where he frames up the problems with software development. And there's other links to things about David there as well, like to his company and to his book, Beyond Legacy Code. Where are the show notes? The show notes are right there in your podcast player if that's what you use to listen to this audio. If instead you're downloading this podcast from the website, go back to the website and there you'll see the show notes where you downloaded this MP3. This episode is part of a series. If you missed the first episode, go back to the show archive and you'll find the start of this series at episode 188. How to find the show archive? Type in your favorite search engine, Lancer Agile Thoughts Archive. Next episode, more David Scott Bernstein. Refractor Legacy Code is is really mostly focused on convincing arguments to management for why it's valuable to refactor and what is not valuable to refactor. We're not saying refactor everything all the time. In fact, that would be like impossible. <laughs>